Welcome to Decision Space, the only podcast that takes place right here between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Brendan. And I'm Jake. And this week, Jake and I are here for an episode about our top 10 games. I think both of us wanted to take an opportunity to just talk about some games, sort of casually. I don't know, I'm curious to get Jake's perspective if this is his top 10 games of all time period or the top 10 games he's enjoying right now most of all and wants to play most. I think my list might be some combination of the two, like the 10 games I'd be most excited to get to the table today. That's yeah, not should... even totally true. I should, probably, <laughs> I should probably say that uh, right off the bat, this is not going to be an objective top 10 best games of all time because it is constrained by the really important factor that like these are just games that I've played. And yes. there are probably many games out there um, that I haven't played that, that could make this list, could possibly make the top 10 list, could possibly be my favorite game of all time, which is one of the super exciting things about the hobby. Um, I've only been really deep in this hobby for you know six seven years now uh and i definitely have some blind spots uh so i hope people do keep that in mind but yeah what i did to create my list was i went i uploaded my entire collection into the board game geek uh of my board game geek collection into pub meeple and just clicked through until i got a full list of my games rated like one through oh what do i have here a hundred and three um nice and yeah and and so you know when i was clicking through i just took those two games and i just thought huh which one of these do i prefer uh so perhaps the order they came out in uh you know i might rank one game higher than another game when those two are fighting against each other but if there was a different game in there there could be a swap around so that's definitely a factor here too i won and if i did it all again i might not get the exact same set of games, but certainly something very close to this list I'm going to be sharing today. And I followed Jake's lead and also used PubMeeple. So just if you aren't familiar with PubMeeple, basically what it is, is just like Jake said, you can upload your BoardGameGeek username, basically. It looks at all the games that you can say that you've played, that you own, uh, and then it presents an option between the two. And you maybe, if you have a list of 100 games, you might end up answering 300 questions that are these binary choices between games. So do you it just doesn't even ask a question. It just puts a picture of like, here's Dominion and here's Jenga. And you click on one of them and then that gives it a little bit of a bump. Um, so that's what I also use. And I sort of did my rankings based on what I said earlier of like the game I admire the most or the game I'd be most excited to get to the table. To clarify too, this only includes games that I have played. Uh, I haven't included games that I aspirationally would love to have the opportunity to play like Twilight Imperium um, or Mega Civilization or something of that sort. Uh, I think that's a different episode for a different day. But before we get into our top 10 lists, Jake and I have been saying for a long time that we really appreciated and were really hoping that someone would leave a review of the show uh, on Apple Podcasts um, or wherever you could leave reviews, but it seems like that's the only place you really could. So we actually did get a review, not on Apple Podcasts, but on a recent Reddit thread that Jake did, where he posted about the types of feedbacks in games, that What We Talk About episode that we did, uh, just to share it with the Reddit community and see what happened. And a longtime listener, Scrumruck, actually commented and gave a review of sorts. And I'll also just say, we really appreciate when anyone says something kind about the podcast or gives constructive criticism or feedback of any type. Uh, but without 
more ado, let's get into this. I've been listening since day one, randomly finding the podcast on their first episode. I can vouch for each episode being worth a listen. Even if you haven't heard of the game the discussion is about for the week, Jake and Brendan do a great job with game overviews and getting you to the point where you can understand the decision space of the game without actually understanding the game at all. The Grand Austria Hotel episode was very much this for me. I have no affiliation with them except that I'm in their Discord group, which is a great community for people who may be looking to play games or discuss games. Definitely worth the listen. Thank you so much, Scrum Ruck, for those incredibly kind words. It's, you know, always, as Brennan said, wind in our sails when we uh, get some kind feedback like that. So thank you. And, and we would be grateful for any other reviews, you know, that help us grow the show or, uh, you know, even if, if you're not comfortable with that, just telling a friend. That'd be amazing. I'm so thrilled too, Scrum, that the Grand Austria Hotel episode worked for you on that level because I have this latent anxiety, just a little bit, that sometimes our pursuit here is like trying to describe color to a person who is completely colorblind or taste to someone, flavors to someone who can't taste anything. So the fact that we were able to translate a decision space of a game you hadn't played and have that episode create value for me makes me really happy. And I thank you for listening since our very first episode and for sticking with us. I know that Kanagawa episode was a little bumpy, but I guess with that, Jake, let's get into it. So we're going to do our top 10 games, like all interesting, relevant board game ratings content. Our first top 10 list. That's like the most quintessential board game podcast content that there is. We're finally getting to it. People have been demanding this from us. Not really, but I think that people are going to enjoy it and perhaps can use these lists to help guide uh, your understanding of of us and our perspective of games uh, to to create more value when we do provide those little game ratings and synopsis. You can say, "Oh wow, it turns out I actually don't share any taste with Jake at all." So if he likes a game, I probably won't. And if he doesn't like it, that's one I should check out. And if that's you, that's perfect. What the heck is he thinking? <laughs> um, so I think as I was making my list, Jake, I very much had the feeling in the sense that there were games that I wanted. I was surprise didn't get in the top 10 or i wanted to at least speak about momentarily in this episode is games that i really enjoy that maybe don't get as much love or just games that i really enjoy that do get a ton of love that didn't make it into my top 10 but i feel like are important to where my headspace is right now as someone who plays games so i think you probably have some honorable mentions as we'll call them coining that term no um <laughs> with our That's super a great original term. episode <laughs> yeah our top 10 content coining honorable mentions but jake what do you have in your honorable mentions or like games that didn't make it in that you want to talk about briefly sure my number 15 game was pandemic legacy season one a fantastic mm. game i think this one didn't perhaps make the list just because it's an experience i've had and now i'm done with it but playing through that campaign, uh, my wife and I played with two relatively new friends and just really enjoyed the game with them and created two new friendships that, that took our, our relationship with that couple uh, to a much stronger place. So that's a game I'm always grateful for, for that experience uh, and, and would really recommend highly to people who are, you know, getting into games or if you want to like get a couple into games with you checking out something like that was such a wonderful and fun experience i i pandemic legacy did not make my top 10 list but i did i was excited to write it and it jumped up pretty high and i too have those like blazoned memories of the couple days that Maya and i spent with a 
pair of friends just playing through most of the campaign. Um, I, for my first honorable mention, am going to mention the game Caper. Caper is a two-player drafting game with really beautiful art that plays over the course of three rounds. Uh, you are thematically loosely you're playing as a, a team of thieves trying to pull off heists in these different cities, and you're putting together uh, team members and gear. And it's just a like this fun little tableau drafting game that I think people should take a look at. It's by Keystone Games, who they republished a previous version of the game uh, and rethemed it, and they've most famously gone on to do Parks and Trails. I think those are their two big breakout games, and Caper came just below, before that. Awesome. Uh, my second honorable mention I will give to Spirit Island. This mm. game came in at number 12 for me, and I'm not a big solo gamer, and I'm not a big cooperative gamer, but Spirit Island is one that I've enjoyed both solo and in a cooperative setting. Uh, so because it kind of stands out on this list and in, in, in unique in that category, it's one, uh, you know, it's thematically rich. Another thing that doesn't really stand out in many of the games I've, I've picked. Uh, so I wanted to highlight that one as a little bit of an outlier. Um, so perhaps if you're someone like me and, and find yourself appealed, that, that my list of top 10 games appeals to you, uh, even if you're not into that kind of solo gameplay or cooperative gameplay, Spirit Island's probably worth a look for you. And I think you said to me previously, Jake, am I remembering right, that you feel like it's the co-op you've played with the most interesting decision space? I think that's correct, yeah. Yeah, cool. Okay, next honorable mention. Have you ever heard of the game Coconuts, Jake? I have heard of it. I think it's like a kid's dexterity game. Oh my gosh, don't call it a kid's game. <laughs> <laughs> Coconuts is a dexterity game uh, originally published in Korea, and it is very toy-like. If you've ever heard of like Talk Talk Woodman, I think is the name of another sort of game that has a similar vibe, uh, which there's this tree where you're using plastic axes. It kind of has like that vibe, but in Coconuts, uh, you can play with two, three, or four players. Everyone gets their own plastic, mon plastic monkey that has spring-loaded arms, uh, and you get little coconuts. That I think the, vaguely the joke of this game is like scatological humor where like everything says coconuts and they're definitely coconuts, but you kind of like just go to like, are we flinging poop? I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe it's a game for people with childlike mindsets. But then there's cups in the middle of the table where you're trying to fling your coconuts into these cups uh, and you get points for, for getting into the cups and then you get to take the cup and put it in front of you and you like build this pyramid of cups um, and you're shooting sort of at other people's cups and it's just a lot of fun it's really hilarious uh the coconuts are the perfect oblong rubber shape that they bounce really hilariously so you couldn't really play it at a bar you just like have to play it in your house or something because you're constantly going to get be getting up and going and getting them but i just have tons of fun memories of casually playing coconuts while having a conversation with friends at the end of a game night or just the end of a night hanging out awesome Sounds like a ton of fun. I need to check it out if I ever get the chance. Maybe that'd be a good one to play at like a game cafe if I ever get back to one of those. How many totally. honorable mentions are we doing? Let's do two more. Two more. All right. So I'll give my a shout out to Fresco. This is okay. in my top 20. It came in at number 19 for me. Um, this is kind of uh, an older game, I guess. Um, and it's about painting the cathedral ceiling. Uh, you know, very much in that 
beige era of midweight Euro games that I love so much. But <laughs> this is just one that I, I don't hear mentioned a lot. Um, but I've just had such a good time with it every time we play. It's got the uh, an element where you're you know sending out people to uh, different aspects of you're basically planning out days for all the workers in your art studio. So you'll have somebody going to the market, somebody, you know, mixing paint, somebody working on painting the cathedral and you're hiding where you're planning people behind a board or behind a player shield. So then you lift it up and it's just a hilarious reveal moment where you see that everybody's going to the market and Oh no, like that's not going to work. Now I won't be able to get the paint I want or, you know, I wasted way too many of my guys doing something, thinking that other people would be doing it, and they're not. It's hysterical. Uh, and there's just, like, a really funny element to the game, too, where you get to decide what time of day your people wake up. So you can, like, make people wake up at 6 a.m. in your artistic studio to get to the market before everyone else. But then they're going to get, like, mad, and people will leave your studio. Or you can let them sleep in late, and maybe you won't get the actions you want, but people will want to come like work for you because you're like the chill artist studio. And it's just like such a hilarious thematic integration. So for a game that just looks like so beige and boring, the mechanics are great and it's just surprisingly funny. And I've just always had a wonderful time with it. So I hope more people check out this game, which I don't see mentioned very often. I'm sold. I want to play Fresco now. It's, it sounds awesome. Okay. For me, second to last honorable mention is the castles of mad King Ludwig. This is a game that I think is very sharply designed. It has a really cool um, auction mechanism where the last player to, to buy a tile is going to be setting which prices fit into a... Uh, basically, there's like five different prices down on the table that are set costs of a tile. And the last person who drafts is going to set which tiles end up in which locations. Um, so they could make a tile that they really want, the cheapest tile on the board, but then someone else is probably going to take it before they have the chance for it to get back to them. So, And then it's also a, a sort of tile building castle game where you're putting these different types of rooms into your castle and trying to take advantage of synergistic adjacencies of these different types. It's just fun and it creates this really cool image on the table. Awesome. I haven't played that one, but I know I need to. I know it's a, a our friend Paul Solomon. It's a top game for him too. And he has pretty solid taste in games. Um, my last shout out, I'm going to give it to my number 11th game. So just off the list and it, it's Five Tribes. Um, just a fantastic game. To very, very unique mechanisms uh, where you have a board loaded up with meeples and you're removing them from the board instead of placing them out. So it just sort of inverts what's so common in games. It also has this wonderful mechanism that I absolutely adore, uh, which is that you start with 50 gold, which you'll be using to bid for um, turn order. But every single gold is like one-to-one -one points at the end of the game. Um, so that's just like a really fun element. Like right from the start of the turn, you're, you're wagering points like to try and figure out how many points you can get off the board. Um, there, there's some pretty fun theme. Uh, I mean, there's a, it can be a little bit problematic. Hopefully you don't have an earlier printing of it. So I should put that caveat. Um, I won't go too deep into it, but you know, it's just kind of a fun, whimsical game if, if you have a newer edition. Um, and it's one I really enjoy the decision space of. I've enjoyed playing it both in person and on Tabletop Simulator uh, with friends over the past year. Uh, so just missed the cut for me. Great game. 
And my Miss the Cut is also a Bruno Cathala game. And it's actually a game that I played and enjoyed a ton a few years ago. And then for the podcast, have been playing it a bunch recently. And that game is King Domino. Um, I don't know why, but like playing it recently, both in the five uh, five by five variant with multiple players and also in the Mighty Duel variant, the seven by seven, I've just been having a blast. And I think the decisions that it offers at this pace that it offers is just such a sharp game. It's uh, drafting slash picking mechanism is really clever in the way that it ranks tiles and then sort of organically, no matter what tiles randomly come out, uh, they're ranked fairly, but sometimes you get really interesting uh, juxtapositions. I think King Domino is a game that most people know about, so I'm not going to dally on that. Um, but yeah, good game. And yeah, we'll cover it. Yeah, for our, pre- for our pre-planners out there, we're going to be covering it very soon in one of our next couple of episodes. So I'm going to save uh, where it's at in my list for a little bit of intrigue to see uh, if Brendan and I do think similarly about that one or perhaps not. Oh, God, here we go. Okay, <laughs> Jake, your top 10 games of all of right now. All top right. Number 10. Number 10. I'm starting with number 10. It's a surprise entry for me. A Stefan Feld game. (laughs) Is the whole list 10 (laughs) Stefan Feld games? (laughs) We'll find out. The first one is, so trending that way, uh, it's Carpe Diem. And this is a game we covered on the show. When we covered it, I don't think it would have been this high on this list, or I'm sure it wouldn't, but it's just grown on me. It's a game Mm. I've continued to play since diving in deep on that episode on exclusively online on Yukata. Uh, I don't even own this game in person, but I've just loved it there. And, um, you know, if you want to find out more about this game, I'll just direct you back to that episode uh, where we we talk all about it in depth. So episode two, Um, but it's a game that I've been surprised by how much I've enjoyed it as a two player experience. And that was something I wasn't expecting. Uh, The scoring, in this game is is my favorite mechanism and it's just provides just rich 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 gameplay uh and decision making that i've loved to go back to and i'm just finding more and more to enjoy about it the more i play it i definitely think that thinking about the game since then it is a game i've thought of i didn't love it when we covered it but since then the scoring idea and the the idea that you're like basically selecting or like blocking scoring from other players um is very cool and like that's the crux of the game everything else serves that and it's very cool so my number 10 is this is hilarious i can't believe this so your number 10 was our episode two kana uh carpe diem and my number 10 is our episode one kanagawa another bruno Cathala game so i guess i will just direct you to the first episode of decision space uh but Basically, which in which we covered Kanagawa, but this is basically a tableau building game where you're playing as panorama painters, so drafting different cards to add paints to your workshop. Jake and I really like painting themed games, apparently, but not too much because they're not too high. Uh, and you're just sort of set collecting and opting into uh, different scoring where you're basically saying if you want to uh, end your pursuit of certain sets or if you want to push them a little bit further for more points. And it's just, there's some really cool ideas and the weight of the game. I feel like I can get a lot of plays in with many different types of groups. It's a such a good game. Uh, it's also uh, in my top 25. It, it came in at, or sorry, top 30. It came in at 27 for me. So uh, it's definitely a game that's well up there. 
in my estimation too. Uh, I think the only drawback for me about Kanagawa is it's just one I don't find myself pulling off the shelf that much. Maybe that's just because of the, maybe it's the theme or, or something else that like it doesn't have that like hook in me the same way that some of these other games that do so that I sometimes look over it for something else but I always love it when I play it for us it's definitely our like a rainy Sunday morning coffee game yeah it's perfect for like co- you could even take it to a coffee shop or something yeah. like that um, which I've done before all right let's hop to my number nine and I'm realizing that we're just going to be shilling a bunch of episodes in this list uh, uh Brendan can you tell me what episode we did cover the wonderful game el gran oh i think it's el grande uh episode el grande. <laughs> episode 10 episode 10 so is it go, is it 10 we can i know include, you were testing me it's around include, there we can include it in the show notes but it's another one go back listen to the episode uh, a great episode one that we both liked i wonder if it might be showing up on brendan's list a little bit later um but yeah this like is a game genre that I typically have not found much enjoyment in, uh, in terms of uh, territory control, uh, battling over or territories on a map. Uh, but this is that game for me. I've absolutely loved my plays of it. Uh, it's another game I don't own, but continue to play online, uh, continue to find deeper and deeper gameplay. Uh, just recently, I was playing a two-player game against you know one of the highest-ranked people on on the yukata server and just got absolutely demolished awesome. uh, and that just made me love it even more because it's like wow like there really are higher levels there's so much more to dive in and understand about this game and you know perhaps the best thing i can say about it is not only is it fun but it's like a game that's really like deserving of study and, and mm. is going to keep rewarding you the more you put into it episode 13 actually Thanks. Um, yeah, I think that's one of our, I'm really, really proud of that episode. So definitely have a listen if you're interested in El Grande, or if you want to learn more about it. I will also say one thing that's amazing about El Grande is I think it's the one game that I can think of where anyone mentions a mechanism. And usually people can think of like, oh, there's this older game that laid the groundwork, but these three games kind of do it better. And El Grande, it's a game from 1996, I believe, if I'm remembering right, uh, just never it, it's just always people are like you could play this new area control game but you might as well play el grande uh and i think they're right okay so my number nine is the first game on my list from reiner canizia um jake i'm gonna shame you for not having played more reiner canizia because he hey, is brilliant i what? said i had some blind spots and, and that's certainly one of them yeah, we're going to fix it at some point. Though, interestingly, as we play a lot of our games async online together, and a lot of Reiner Knizia games aren't available to be played that way. Um, but we'll figure it out. And mine is Lost Cities. Lost Cities is a two-player uh, card game. That It's a dueling card game. I think a lot of Reiner Knizia's dueling games are really good, his two-player games. And this one, you're essentially, there's... Uh, if I'm, I think there's five different suits in the game and you're trying to decide, you're vying for collecting cards of these different suits uh, from the same pool with your opponent and you can choose 
to go into a suit basically saying, okay, I'm going to start collecting yellow cards and you have to play them. I think if I'm remembering right in ascending order, but if you go into a color, you're going to get negative 20 points. So you have to really decide that you think it's worthwhile for you to spend your time investing in it to get your points back out of that initial investment of putting those negative 20 points into a color. Uh, alternatively, you could hold on to a bunch of cards that your opponent might want, but then you're gumming up your hand and it's just really tense and crunchy trying to figure out how to maximize your path through these different expeditions. I know that's one that uh, you've you've recommended to me before. I'm sorry that I can't add any more uh, commentary because it isn't one I've played, but it's certainly one I would love to try. All right, my number eight game is another one like El Grande that is, in my mind, stands alone in its mm. genre, and that genre is social deduction. Ooh, and the game is the resistance. Amazing. I absolutely love this game. It's, uh, you know, I probably have to credit The Resistance for a big part of why I've gotten so deep in the modern board game hobby. Uh, it, you know, one of the very first game nights I did after kind of discovering this hobby with friends, uh, I played The Resistance as a game I brought out uh, and we played it. We must have played it, you know, 12 times back to back to back. You know, we had a eight people sitting around a table, a big table. And it was just still to this day, you know, one of the highlights of my lifetime of gaming. Um, it's just so much fun. So thematically evocative. Uh, I love being, if you don't, if you're not aware of the resistance, uh, it's, it's a social deduction game where people will be secretly dealt identities, whether they're a part of the resistance, the good guys, or they're spies trying to infiltrate the resistance, bad guys. And you pick team members uh, and vote whether to succeed or fail the mission. Uh, and it's just so simple, but works perfectly. Uh, I love being the good guy because I feel like I can just be honest and it feels so great. And And you have like these moments where you're, you know, you're just telling the truth. And if people don't believe you at the end of the game, you feel so you flip over. You're like, I told you I was a good guy. Like, I can't believe you couldn't believe me. And just have this like moment of just like letting all your emotions out. Or if you're a bad guy, it's just so scary. And like, you know, I you can't rely on just like being honest. You have to tell lies. You have to, you know, confront people or or perhaps you try and play it silently um i think it's a game that is also just like important to experience like it's a game that can teach you so much about what it's like to be accused of something because when you're playing the resistance and you're a good good guy uh a good person and you get accused of being a spy and suddenly you just have this feeling where you know every single thing you're saying it sounds like a lie and it's just like you know you kind of can have this experience like you know what this is what it must be like to be accused of a crime like in real life and everyone thinks you're guilty and everything you're saying is just digging that hole deeper and deeper uh which i think is actually like something that is is, is an interesting to experience and perhaps like a somewhat profound um so i think it's a game that just offers so much entertainment it's such a small package it's so fun uh, and also it's it's something that I think like everyone should do just to experience. Um, so yeah, for that, it's my number eight game. 
It's awesome. The resistance is in my top 30. It was in the first five games I ever purchased once I got into sort of modern board gaming. Um, and I, I think it's very deserving to be on a top 10 list. It's, I completely agree, Jake. It's like one of my favorite magic circles with the right group where everyone's opted in. They're excited to be playing. Uh, they want to sort of fulfill these roles. Um, they're not taking it too personally, uh, which I've definitely seen happen. But those games also are some have left some very exciting memories. So I agree. I think in some ways you're. It's interesting you drawing the parallels between El Grande and the Resistance because I do think so much of social deduction design that's happened since then has just been a response to the Resistance and trying to figure out is there a way to add more complexity while keeping that sort of perfect, perfect bite of just enough there that you let people come to the forefront, which really good social deduction games, I think, are about people. So my number eight is The Fox in the Forest. Another trick-taking, another two-player game, a trick-taking game, and a game that we've covered on the show. Uh, I think that I don't need to dally on this one for too long. Jake and I uh, went pretty deep on this in a previous episode of the show, I think in our first 15 episodes or so. Uh, interestingly, right around um, when we did the El Grande episode, I believe. But it's just, I think this a perfect example of how the scoring of a game can make and become the game in a really interesting way that elevates it uh, rather than having the scoring be something that all of the mechanisms in the game and all the components are really interesting, uh, but the scoring feels like an afterthought and it makes it doesn't lend the game the same energy that good scoring can lend a game. I, the Fox of Forest, uh, it's another one you know we've covered, so you can hear all my thoughts in detail there. It's not one I prefer as much as you, but it's, it's one that's offered me and my wife probably 20 great plays uh, before it started to wear thin. And I mean, that's a so wonderful long. accomplishment. You know, if, if, if you get 20 plays, enjoyable plays out of a game, that's money well spent. I mean, hey, I only got 10 good plays out of Pandemic Legacy Season 1, and that's my number 15 game. All right, my number seven game, wouldn't you know it, another game we've covered on the podcast, and it is... Underwater cities. Brendan, what episode did we cover that one on? Oh my gosh. Jake, you keep wanting to be on the spot. I think that this is episode nine. Let's see. Let's see. While you look. Well, okay. Uh, the reason I love this game so much is because of, oh. I think, the decision space uh, that it creates. Like, I love the tempo, the building up and then the reducing down, like, really getting to feel those options you expand and contract in this game feels pretty dissimilar um, to most other games I've played. Uh, the arc is so clear, uh, and, and that just ends up being something I really love about games. Um, so perhaps there's there's another game that'll come up later on my list that uh, has, has a similarly uh, sized decision space. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just one that's fun, and you know, I was kind of thinking about this, like are these games that we're picking on the podcast, are we picking them because there are top 10 games or is the opposite kind of happening where mm -hmm. once we cover a game uh, and, and really dive deep in it, uh, that's kind of allowing us to, to, to really understand better, appreciate it. And, and it comes in that way. And I think uh, for Underwater Cities and Carpe Diem, those are two games that we've 
picked for the podcast because they're, I enjoyed playing them. So I, I selected them. Uh, but in diving more, more into those games and, and really exploring the decision space and all they have to offer, I've, my appreciation has grown with them. So, you know, for that, I love it. We have been playing another Vladimir Suchi game, Praga, which has basically resulted in me just thinking about underwater cities whenever I go on a run. Because I think that it, the game is so clever and uh, just fun. Like all the bits and the production, it just like activates that sort of like civilization building microcosm in your little city with planning. I, I, I really enjoy this game too. And my favorite thing about the game is the cards as worker placement mechanic. Love that, yeah. It's It masquerades as something not that, but that's really what it is. Uh, and it's so smart, and I haven't seen it in other games, and I want to play more games that have this wonderful Vladimir Suchi mechanic. So more on that in episode need more. five. That was an early one. Wow, I, I didn't realize that. I thought it was way later. Yeah, so my seventh game, Jake, this one's for you, is The Castles of Burgundy. Yeah, great <laughs> so, game. <laughs> I think that the Castles of Burgundy ends up in this place on my list, not because I think it's like the best design game on my list, or because I think that it's a game that I could play with the most people on my list, but just because it's one of the most. I just have had so much fun every time I've played it. I don't think I'm particularly good at this game, um, but I just really enjoy the dice rolling aspect, the decisions that come with using your workers to manipulate the dice, feeling like you have high agency uh, within the game, even though it's a high randomness game. Um, and it, there's so many potential directions that the game can go in, like so many Stefan Feld games. I think the game also leaves a lot of room for exciting things to happen based on the randomness in the system and also for things to go really, really wrong in a way that can feel uh, exciting and special, even if maybe a little painful while you're playing. Uh, so the Castles of Burgundy, my number seven game. That's a good game. I think it's a great <laughs> selection for any top 10 list. Um, my number six game is not one we've covered on this podcast and probably not one that I would wager most of our listeners have played, but they really should if they have not. And that is uh, an Alex... Alexander Fister, is Fister. That yeah, yeah, designer, and the game is Broom Service. This game is phenomenal. In Broom Service, you it's it's a pick up and deliver game at its on the board, but the core of the game is in this kind of almost like a it's almost like skull like a skull mechanism game of chicken where you'll be picking from 10 cards as actions uh, and then you pick four of them in each round of the game and on your turn you'll pick one of those four cards and you can choose to play it as a brave witch or a cowardly witch and if you do the cowardly action you get to take that action right away uh, but if you choose the brave action if anybody else around the table has also selected that card in their hand and they uh, they have to then play it at that point and they can choose to do the brave action. And if they do, you get nothing. So there's this like, you know, it, it feels in so many ways like a really great uh, kind of midway Euro game, which is just, you know, that speaks to me on the board, but it has such a high level of player interaction 
uh, through that core of card play. I think the card play is immediately engaging to to folks who might be even brand new to the hobby. It probably wouldn't be my uh, my recommendation for a very first game for somebody, but it's a game you can really almost play with anyone because that card play it feels like poker, right? It just feels like a, a has that gambling nature that anyone can immediately uh, grok and like understand what's happening. Uh, it's it's perhaps the game in my collection that is most worn out from play on the table. I probably played it, you know, we had a debate in our Discord about whether this constitutes a lot of plays, but it does for me. I probably played it about 15 dimes on the table. The cards are getting a little bit worn at this point. I had to sleeve them, uh, which I, you know, I love uh, in the box. It comes with like five modular expansions. The board is double-sided, so... There's just like an absurd amount of content in this game. You know, it's honestly crazy to me that they didn't want to release all these expansion content as an expansion to make more money. But I'm glad they didn't because it just makes like the package and and the price point so appealing. I think I honestly think like this is a collection essential. Everyone should have it. Everyone should give it a try. Uh, You know, it's by far my favorite Fister game that I've played. And I've tried Great Western Trail and a couple of others. Uh, that are, are perhaps more esteemed in this hobby. But, you know, I don't want to say this game's overlooked because I think it was like the Spiel, the Kenner Spiel Jarl winner of the year. Uh, but it's not one I hear people mention as much as I think they should. It's a modern classic to me. Just a wonderful game. Toss me a broom. I'm I'm good at all. Like, I want to play right now. Broom service I've actually wanted to play for a really long time, but you're, you're sort of pitch there jake talking it up makes me feel like where of it has it been all this time and i think an interesting theme that's coming out in some of the games you've been mentioning is your gravitation towards these simultaneous choice slash von neumann style games being such a, a rich opportunity for interaction whether it's like the resistance or el grande or fresco or now broom service that mechanic sounds really cool i want to check it out so my number six game is a game that i think deserved more attention there's not There's things about this game that I think could have been done in position better. Some of the art I don't think is quite where I would want it to be. It's cool, but like I think it's presenting itself maybe as a little bit more of like a male game than it needed to. Um, But with that said, the game itself and is a tactics combat game based on a hex grid, and it is a re-implementation of a really popular game. Uh, And that game is Monolith Arena. So Monolith Arena is a two-player hex-based tactics combat game where each player is going to have their own faction that has all of its own unique tiles that represent different units. And then you also have a banner, which is basically, uh, it represents like your most important unit. And you each have 20 health and you take turns sort of drawing up to three tiles, playing one tile discarding a tile and then deciding if you want to keep your remaining tile or discard it and you go back and forth as the board builds up builds up builds up with tension there's units that you know will attack directly next to them there's ranged units there's runes that you can use to make some of your units better maybe increasing the damage that their attacks do or how quickly they attack there's initiative in this game so there's really quick attackers and slower attackers so you have to be mindful of where sort of this machine in a way that you're setting up is building and building and then eventually someone can slap down on the table an attack order and then everything that you've placed basically fires off in order so the way that the uh 
initiative system works is that the things that are the fastest go first. And then if they interact with other tiles, they could take those off the board and then they might never get to go. Um, it's just this really interesting two-player combat game that's all about tension uh, and trying to think through, is it the best way for me to use my tile? Uh, and interacting with what your faction's specific tiles and powers do. Uh, there's six factions in the game if you have the two expansions. It's one I really enjoy and would like to enjoy more, and I think is a game that I wish had more attention so there was even more content. Sounds awesome. Not only a game I've never played, but a game I really haven't even heard of. So I think it's awesome that you're bringing that up here uh, as your sixth favorite game of all time. Uh, and a, a theme I think I'm seeing in your list is uh, a, a passion for two-player games. I definitely love that's some two-player games. Is that four, <laughs> is that four two-player games? I think so that's far? four two-player games. <laughs> Out of six. One, two... <laughs> Three. 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 Okay. Oh, wait, four. You four. can, I will say there are team rules that you can play with this game, no, but I don't it's hear really it. clear. It's <laughs> default. It's a two-player game. Yeah. All right. Well, I shouldn't give you too much trouble because my number five game of all time is a two-player game. It is a game we've covered on this podcast. Uh, so uh, believe it or not, sorry, Paul, it is not Star Realms. It is Keyforge. Nice. Uh, and Keyforge is... A first of its kind, algorithmically generated card game. R.I.P. the algorithm. Or <laughs> whatever for the algorithm. <laughs> it is broken. We don't know what's happening there. Um, but this game is great. Uh, it's a game that I created a podcast about called Sanctimonious. We did 50 episodes or something. Um, and so for that reason alone, it holds like a really special place in my heart. I've traveled around playing in some competitive tournaments of it. Uh, and and so I have this like emotional connection with the game that I think is, is you know, is honestly impossible to ignore when I'm doing the pub meeple ranking. But beyond that, it's just a really fantastic game. Uh, you know, you couldn't just pick any game and do a podcast that keeps you interested and engaged for that long. And really the only thing that interrupted that was the fact that we had a global pandemic and uh, organized play ceased to exist. So we kind of started to uh, run out of momentum and things to talk about. But the Keyforge community has not stopped. Like people are constantly innovating, uh, fun, interesting, new formats, new ways to get value out of these decks. Uh, the theme is fun and whimsical. And But the thing that matters the most to me is... The decision space in this game is so incredible. It's in, it's just amazing how much fun uh, and how high the skill ceiling is in this game, which really takes no time at all to learn, uh, to, to create so many rich decisions. Uh, I think it's well-deserving on this list. It's you know cheaper than ever to pick up a, a box a starter set of this game to give it a try for yourself. Uh, I'd still highly re recommend people do that. And I think that, you know, this is a game that we will be, you know, hopefully will continue on for many more years of, of content and new stuff. Uh, but no matter what happens, I think this is a game that has made an, you know, a clear mark on the gaming landscape. Uh, and, and, and it will be like, you know, leaving a footprint that many more games we're already seeing some now will follow. Um, and, and try and do better, but I think they have a very tall task to to kind of rise to the heights that that Keyforge was able to achieve, and even in its very first set. 
one of the best hand management systems in a game ever. And I didn't include Keyforge in my potential list, uh, but it would have made the top 10 if I did. Uh, Jake, I think, said it best, and we have an episode on it, if you're curious, where we delve more into the game and why it's so special. Like we do for this game as well, which is my number five game of the moment, Keyflower. The more I play Keyflower and think about Keyflower, somehow the more I enjoy it. I don't know why. It's it's a gnarly game with, like, it, it it's, it's like a Franken game of all these different mechanics, and I think that out of all of the games on my list, it probably has the least in common with all of the other games, um, but I think it's audacious and interesting, and it's a game I'm always excited to have the opportunity to play. Well said. <laughs> Jake is shaking his head. Well said. I mean, I, I don't want to steal well your thunder. I mean, it's obviously a well-respected, beloved game by many. <laughs> he so says obviously. I'll, I'll let my thoughts speak for themselves on the podcast, um, and... I'll just move right on to my number four game of all time. I did say that uh, my number, where is it? 12 game Spirit Island was an outlier in being a solo game and a cooperative game, but there is one more and and one that I have ranked even higher than that. And that is Arkham Horror, the Mm. card game. Uh, This game is uh, a, a cooperative campaign based game. Uh, where you are doing deck construction uh, and playing through a bunch of scenarios. Very, very challenging game. Tons of really interesting decisions you can noodle over, both in the terms of the deck construction part of the game. Uh, You can kind of get experience and and level up. Um, And also in the uh, actual play of the game, trying to just find your way through each of these scenarios, you know, the path through victoriously is going to be incredibly narrow. Um, and it's it's one of the games, it's the game I've had the most fun playing solo. Uh, you know, it's very rare that I'll do it. But, you know, if my wife is, uh, my wife's an archaeologist, sometimes she's out of the country uh, for a long time. And in those times, sometimes I'll set aside a weekend, usually in the winter, I'll make like a nice hot glass of chai, and I'll just dive once more back into this game uh, and it's just so much fun this you know the story is actually well written and interesting uh, it's just been a great experience so that's why it's this high up on the list my the only uh, game I'll play solo on this list and the only cooperative game on this list as well I think this is a game that people quietly rave about like it's not there's not a huge contingent of people who rave about the Arkham Horror uh, card game but when you meet someone they're like all about it and they're so excited to talk about it and their experience with it it's not one i've played but i would love to have the opportunity to i think it could be one we could cover it would take some doing like maybe tabletop simulator or something but i i, I know you would love this game <laughs> interesting oh dear oh dear okay speaking of i didn't know that this was going to be a game that i would love until i played it recently i thought there was a strong chance it's a very one of actually the newest acquisitions to my collection. So the fact that it's number four might shock some people, um, but I haven't jumped as quickly into a game uh, as this in a long time. We'll see if it has the durability to stay in this top five spot, uh, but that game is Blue Lagoon by Reiner Knizia. Blue Lagoon is a really interesting um, good goodness. It's an area control game. It's a set collection game. 
It's a it's it's a lot of different things. It's another example of this sort of like mechanical theming that Reiner Knizia is so good at. And it's just, I think, another great example of scoring being so important to how the the energy of the game and how the game plays out. The scoring itself is like objectively kind of awful, like having to do the scoring. Like I've never felt more like I need to get my abacus out in a game in recent memory, but what it does for the game, I think really justifies it. And if anyone's going to be able to get a game published and show that scoring like this can be worthwhile, it's someone like Reiner Knizia. And I think this is a game that everyone should play or at least uh, look at. This is also a blue orange game. So the same publisher as King Domino. Yeah, I need to check this one out. It's probably it's probably time I, I uh, take a trip to the good doctor and experience some of these games. So I'll, I'll on that recommendation, uh, I'll probably bump that one up to the top of my list of need to try uh, Knizia games, unless perhaps there's more even higher on your list that will usurp it. We'll find out. Uh, my number three game of all time is... Uh, and this is probably the game that, you know, if I could, you know, it's my birthday, I can have the people I want over, I've got nothing on the schedule, and just like going to create the perfect gaming experience. This is probably the game that I'm bringing to the table right now, and it's A Feast for Odin. Um, it is a big game. Uh, it's a, a very sandboxy game when we think about the size of the decision space and based on just the sheer number of decisions you could take on your turn. Uh, this one verges on ludicrous. There's like 50 some action placement spots. Uh, maybe even more when you use the uh, Norwegians expansion, which I uh, have and, and, and agree with kind of the overall assessment that it's an essential expansion. Um, yeah, I, I love that like this game just offers so many different paths to explore. Uh, and you know, it's, it's even though the, the setup of the game itself is going to be the same, like there's just variability based on like the, the path you can choose. And there are like occupations and, and some cards that come out in the game that are really fun, uh, to, to that will influence your strategy in some ways, but it's a wonderful game. I play it in another game too, that is like as fun it is. It's also just like hilarious at times when people get like bad you know, you're playing this epic game and, and there's still a chance there's like a bad roll result is going to just like screw somebody over out of nowhere. Or, you know, uh, in my first ever game, I'll always remember because I was like the flax baker was my occupation and we were just riffing on, you know, the flax baker the whole time. And, and the second time I played this game, you know, there's like 300 occupation cards, like some ludicrous number and we're playing and, and, and my opponent plays down the flax baker. I'm <laughs> just like... No way! Like, <laughs> I was the flax maker. It's like you don't understand. It's like the Spider-Man meme where you're pointing at me. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Like I've I've only played this game four times, but I've absolutely had the best time with it every single time. I I heard I hear it's in alpha uh, on Board Game Arena now, which is you know really exciting news because I think it's a game that is hard to get to the table just because setup is a bear. It's a long playing game. Um, so I'm excited that hopefully this board game arena implementation will provide me the opportunity to dive as deep as I want in exploring the, the strategy in this game. I will also say birthday game is like the best freaking, it's such an important cultural force that everyone should really consider 
and think about because I know you all have a birthday game. So I'm excited to know, Jake, that your birthday game is a Feast for Odin. I have not played with Feast for Odin. I feel like in some ways it rep- it's a really cool game in that it, ex- it represents like years of design work for Uwe Rosenberg, like working towards combining all these different mechanisms in a way that brought this true feast to the table, combining his work in polyominoes and I think farming and some resource conversion. And it's a game I've never played, but really want to. And every time I hear it talked about, I'm sort of not sure if I'd enjoy it, but definitely know I want to play it. My number three game. Help! I need a doctor. He's back. It's modern art. So this makes it into my number three spot. This is Reiner Knizia's one of his classic auction games, mostly for the memories that I have with it. I think that ultimately at its heart is a card game, and I'm very interested just in general about card games and how they work, how they tick. I think it's sort of singular and almost perfect as a game, uh, the way in which it plays out at the table and manages to be thematic without being an overtly thematic game. Uh, And it's just a lot of fun. The shape of its decision space is really interesting. It's fascinating how you have this sort of hidden agency with how much you're bidding and the dollars that you have are hidden in the game. So you can suspect who has the most money, uh, but doesn't necessarily. And I know this is a game Jake has played from Reiner Knizia at least once, and I think it's one he should play again. I did. I played it once and had a great time with it. Phew. When we talk about, (laughs) you you know... uh, this is something we might talk about more on a future episode. When you talk about theme in a mm-hmm. game, like this is just one of like the most sterling examples of theme in all its capacity. Like when you're picking uh, a type of auction to do out of your hand, and and you choose like open auction, and you you know you've got the gavel. Like like there's no there's like you know hard to think of a game where it feels more like I am that thing. Mm-hmm. Like I am a art auction or an art collector i am an auction person like then modern art it's just it's fun uh to get into it for such a mechanically perfect game as well totally all right my number two game and you said i was gonna have 10 stefan feld <laughs> games on this list but i'm only now going back to stefan feld with a game that appeared on your list no surprise to anyone uh maybe surprised that it's at number two but it's the castles of burgundy uh, in in most people's estimate, estimation, the best Feld game, uh, certainly its highest rated game, um, a classic for good reason, uh, a, a favorite in our decision space Discord community, uh, one that that people play a lot and enjoy. It's a game I've played over a hundred times. Uh, maybe the only game outside of collectible card games that the only true game with a board that I've ever played a hundred times. Um, and you know, it's still fun and I just don't know, you know, what more I could say than that. Uh, you know, definitely a game that I would take with me to a desert Island. And and I think I would, you know, continue to have fun with it for years. If you are interested in playing Castles of Burgundy and you think you're a shark at the game, you should definitely come to our discord and hit up the looking for games or table talk channel because there are some games going that I feel like are some pretty high level games of Castles of Burgundy where like everyone at the table somehow is approaching 250 points. I don't really understand it, but if you like this game or if you just want to try it, you could definitely find some players uh, to get it to the virtual table with you there. And I am not surprised that it's this high up on your list. And I suspect that a Steffenfeld crown sits atop the list for you as well, Jake, but we'll have to wait and see. 
because my number two game of all time currently right now is El Grande. We, I think, covered this mostly, so I'll, instead of talking about the game itself, give an anecdote, which is that I, as avid listeners know, recently had a baby. I'm also starting grad school. Uh, I also have a full-time job. I also have a podcast. I also design games. Really, really busy. So my time to play games on the table is quite low. Uh, I do a lot of my gaming asynchronously or just with Maya. We'll pull games out when the baby's sleeping. Uh, but I wanted to and made sure to get a copy of the El Grande recently after playing it for the first time. Um, mostly because I just feel like it's something I needed to have because it feels like such an important and special game. And my aspirational, uh, what, what am I going to, I'm not going to go with birthday game. Friends are back in town game is the like anytime a group of friends who I play board games with who comes to town, I'm mean, like, we have to play this game. We're, we're finding the hour and a half to play El Grande if you haven't played it before because it's that good. And I will say I also went out of my way not to buy the big box version because I'm not interested in expansions at all. And I didn't want a really hulking giant cardboard box sitting around. So like the original Rio Grande imported version. And I'm just really excited. It's a I'm really very jealous. This very, very jealous. <laughs> okay jake your what's your crown your number one game my number one game of all time you were right it is a stefan feld game and it is la isla no just kidding what i was like <laughs> oh my gosh i just wanted to mispronounce one more game before i got to my actual top number one game uh which is bruges or mm. bruges if you're me an idiot <laughs> uh yeah i mean this is a game that most people uh don't don't like as much as castles of burgundy even among feld fans even in the uh, feld fan club which i am a card carrying member of Uh, but you know for me it's kind of the perfect game uh i love that it has so much of what i love about the castles of burgundy but with just a little bit more variety more variability more moments of highs and lows all the things we talked about on the episode about bruges uh which you can go back and listen to uh you know it i kind of go back and forth on these two games um and it almost feels similar silly having them as my number one and two because they are really similar it feels like two sides uh of the same coin uh you know, if I if I want to, you know, have that like nice comfort food where I just know it's going to be a great experience, there's Castle of Burgundy. If I want something like a little bit more wild and raucous and, it, you know, it's, it might be just a excellent play or, or it might go off the rails for somebody, uh, then then there's Bruges. And I think maybe there's even a little bit element of like, I don't want to pick Castle of Burgundy because that's everybody's favorite game. <laughs> that might be, you know, coming into it a little bit uh you know have have my own unique special favorite game but i really think it's worth it uh i've got the same group of friends entering our like 30th game of bruges on yukita we start one every time uh the previous one ends since the very beginning of the pandemic uh so you know it's got that kind of emotional connection for me too which uh this is a subjective list uh i'm just gonna given to my emotional whims. Uh, so for that reason, I think it'll remain a really special game to me. It's not one I own. It's a kind of a grail game for me, but I'm ex- incredibly excited about uh, Homburg coming out very soon from Queen Games, which is the re-implementation and change version of Bruges. So I think that'll be my opportunity to actually own a piece of this game 
in the collection and, and hopefully it'll be just as good or even better. I think the coolest thing for me about seeing your love of Bruce, Jake, is also the way in which it marries your sort of love of Feld games, your love of board games generally, and it ties to and marries with your love of card games and these sort of organic combos that can happen in a system. And somehow this Stefan Feld game by this designer that you love just inexplicably ends up existing. It almost feels like a game made for you in a lot of ways, um, which when I... Heard you talk about Bruges. I was like, okay, well, yeah, well, we'll cover it. It's, it's on the list. It's on the list. And then when we played it, everything just came into perspective for me. And I was like, oh yeah, this is Jake. I understand. <laughs> this is why this is the game. How will how will there ever be a game where the Jake loves war? But I'm sure there will be. But Hamburg, maybe Hamburg. <laughs> but we'll see. The, we'll see how the choices shake out. Yeah, we'll in see. games, Jake has a high list of a long list of expectations. That's true. That you, you have to get right to pass the test. Maybe we'll do if Hamburg comes out and you buy it. We'll do a review of your checklist of if Queen Games pass the test. That sounds good. So my number one game on my list is a game that I spent countless countless hours playing like the resistance it's left me with sort of these emblazoned into my mind emotional memories and experiences and i think it's a game that really stands alone next to very few other games and its contribution to the hobby in terms of who designed it and the inspiration that it left on people that have played it since it first came out in 1979 and that is cosmic encounter wow cosmic encounter it's so what i was i was trying to like figure out where you were going with that and i was like oh it's this or this or this and then you threw me off with the date <laughs> i'm just surprised i haven't heard you talk about cosmic encounter very much i love cosmic i think it's one of the most enduring and important modern game designs of all time uh it i think is just the fact that it works is so fascinating and cool and it's so different than a lot of the games we talk about on the show and i think that might be why i've been thinking through like we definitely have to do a cosmic encounter episode of decision space where we do a deep dive of the game but i've just been trying to think about what that actually looks like because so many of the games that we cover the decision space is the game and in cosmic i think the decision space is it's there and it's part of the game but it's almost ancillary to the game itself which is the dramatic moments that can play out and situations that occur based on everyone's unique powers you know it's a it's a hand management game it's a negotiation game uh, and it's just a game of infinite possibilities and i think that's what i love most and there's been so many times where uh i my I love playing with the sort of hidden alien powers variant where everyone gets, we just sort of play where like, here's three, pick one of them. Oh, you don't like those three here. Pick, pick from one of these three until you get a power that you're excited about. You keep it hidden until you're going to use it. And it gives you this really exciting moment of revealing like, I am the zombie, which means that this happens. No one else gets their ships back from the warp or what have you. And it's this, I think it's maybe my birthday game for real. Like anytime I have the opportunity to play Cosmic, I want to. And somehow Cosmic, despite, despite the fact that it's this zany alien game with unique player powers and like for people who haven't played games, maybe a, quite a few rules, a lot of components at least. I think it's a game that I could put in front of most people and hopefully have a fun experience of. And it matches, uh, it, it hasn't often let me down, though I know it's a game that doesn't hit for everyone. So yeah, my favorite game of all time, Cosmic Encounter. That's awesome. And has it always been your favorite game of all time? Like, like would it have been on this top of this list like two years ago, three years yes. ago? I think going back to when I first played it, 
since then, it's probably been my favorite game of all time. That's yeah. awesome. I I need to revisit. We we really have to pull out the scroll of like games that we're gonna play when we could get together. Yeah, like that would be fun. Yeah, that would be a fun one. I I, I used to own it. I don't anymore. You got rid of it. <laughs> you sent it like Baby Moses down the river. Oh uh, no! <laughs> so it, it just didn't hit for you. It didn't hit for me, but maybe it was just because of like the time in my life. Like, yeah, uh, you know, I did it after getting into games. So it was like, you know, I played it a couple times with friends. It was like, you mm-hmm. know, ho hum experience. But we never, I never like had that. Like, it seems like so many people who love cosmic as you do are people that have had like a period of time where it was like the game that them and their friends played over yeah. and over, like until you know the player power. The, you know the alien powers you got to put your feld monocle in your pocket yeah if you go to if you go to cosmic with your feld monocle on it's just not gonna work <laughs> and i love having my feld monocle on since you know our podcast is mostly lately about wearing our feld monocles but it just it, they don't work they don't talk you know it's doing something else as a game that's awesome yeah i mean i i love that um i love that feld monocle term i think that's that's something we can kind of bring back and and and, and you know because you're right. You're absolutely right. Sometimes it's like, stop analyzing. Like, we're playing this game with crazy alien powers and it's going to be chaotic and fun. And I can absolutely get behind that. Cosmic can just be like sticking your head outside a car window on a hot summer day as you're like driving down a country road. It's just like so, it's life and vivacious. So I guess with that, that's Jake and I's top 10 games. We would love to hear from you, decision-based listeners, what your top 10 games are. You can do that either by letting us know on our Board Game Geek posts or in our Discord. Uh, also, if you want to, Jake and I will not be mad if you email it to us at decisionspa at gmail.com. If you just unsolicitedly want to say, hey, I'm a listener. I really enjoy the show. Here's my top 10 list. We'd be thrilled and we will respond to you. You can also be like, hey, your lists suck. Uh, I know I it's subjective, know, but mine's better. I want to know whose list you prefer between me and Brendan's because I'm shamelessly over-competitive about everything. Should we, maybe we'll do it with the episode release. We'll put a voting system where you can pick an emoji in Discord who has the better list, Jake or Brendan. Great idea. And awesome. also, cool. And if I lose, I'm only going to be extremely offended. But that's fine. <laughs> I assume people will prefer your list, honestly. Well, if I lose, I just know that I have better taste than the masses. You have a a more eclectic, I think, list. And mine's pretty one note. (laughs) Eclectic is the nice adjective. You could use like zany, like out there. I think think more more people will find stuff to to like on your list. But the people who like my list, they're going to really love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My list has the games that piss people off in, in some cases as well. Um, but I guess with that too, follow uh, next week for you pre-planners. We're going to talk about a Phil Walker Harding game, Imhotep, uh, being the, the best builder of Egypt. We're going to try and get uh, president of the PWH fan club, Paul Solomon, back on to, to help walk us through that discussion. Uh, so that should be a really fun one. Get your boats and stones ready. After that, we'll probably cover King Domino, Praga. So if you want to try to get some experience with these games, start doing that now. Um, And I think with that, if you're a fan of Decision Space, thank you. You've made it this far. You probably are. We love that you are enjoying the show. And we're always thankful if you're willing to tell one person you know about the podcast. It goes so, so far. Uh, You can follow Jake and I on Twitter. You can follow Jake at 
Jake Freed, F-R-Y-D, and me, Brendan Hansen, at Burnside BH. You can follow Decision Space on Twitter at Decision Spa. Uh, and I think that's enough shilling for this week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. And thanks, as always, to Hembry for our intro and outro music. Take care, y'all. Bye. Bye.